Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I think we can combine one and two to acknowledge the fact that emotions are important. Emotions tend to be felt on the level of the individual, not the organization. The organization feels nothing towards you, but all the individuals who are in that organization might feel something very strongly towards you. Your knowledge and your your understanding is far advanced of everybody else out there. And the danger is, is you're gonna go and scare everybody. <laughs> Some people get this naturally. Some people, when you give them a simple explanation, get it. Some people never get it, or it takes a lot of time. This podcast is sponsored by Verant. Verant helped the world's most iconic brands build enduring customer relationships by connecting work, data, and experiences across the enterprise. The Verant Customer Engagement Cloud Platform draws on the latest advancements in AI and analytics, an open cloud architecture, and the science of customer engagement to meet ever-increasing, ever-shifting consumer interactions and demands. So Ryan, I think you're aware that my background is in not just customer experience, but I spent the majority of my life in the business-to-business, B2B arena. Yes. Uh, So I used to work for, back in the day, for a telecoms company, British Telecom. And my boss said something to me one day, which was to change my life. He said, Colin, I'd like you to improve the customer experience and do it at least cost. And ever since that day, I've never sort of been thinking about lots of other things, but customer experience has been a main focus for us. What I want to talk about today is the five rules for managing customer experience in the business-to-business arena. So the five rules for managing customer experience in the business-to-business arena, because there are some differences between managing customer experience in B2B than there are in business-to-consumer, i.e. B2C. And I thought it'd be useful for us to go through those that list. Make sense? I'm excited, yeah. There are differences. There are also similarities that people don't realize are similar. So absolutely I'm excited and, and, to talk about both sides of that. Yeah, and absolutely, there are more of the latter, either more similar things than there are differences. And I think the interesting bit is people think that there's a lot of differences, and there's not that many. Um, but let me tell you some of the important ones, which which are different. Great. So the first rule is B2B is complicated, so you need to simplify it, okay? Now, as I said, when I used to work in corporate life, our British Telecom, when I joined them um, some time ago, had 250,000 employees. (laughs) We've done work with IBM. I think at the time we worked with them, they had 800,000 employees. We've worked with lots and lots of large corporates across the globe. And the issue is... It's undoubtedly the case that B2B is more complicated. 
Mm-hmm. You've typically for large corporates, you've got lots of different products and services, and those are being delivered globally, and therefore it's different. I'll give you one example. I always remember when we started off this work some time ago at BT, so years ago, we worked out that there was 27 different salespeople that could wander into one customer and say, hello, I'm from British Telecom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's common even today in many organizations. And that clearly is not good. I was literally talking with a B2B client of ours today. The issue is you could have product line A where that customer is the most important customer that they've got in this business-to-business environment. You've got product line B where that customer is not really important. And the danger is, is product line B treats the customer as they're not important when overall they're really important to the organization. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, just the more people you get involved in something, the greater the logistical hurdles, the problems with just staying consistent on communication, with understanding something as simple as how important is this customer? All of that becomes much more complicated the more people you get involved. And in B2B transactions, it's almost always more people. No, absolutely. So what you've got to try to do is you've got to try to simplify it as much as you possibly can and break it down. And therefore, one of the key ways that we would go about improving the customer experience in a large B2B would be that ideally you've got some form of central team, okay? And that central team is there for guidance, for alignment, to make sure everybody's sort of heading in the right direction. But each of those then individual business units has also got customer experience people. I'm not going to say team because it depends on how big the business unit is. You know, it could be somebody who's just part-time on the case. It could be that you've got 10 people in it. The point is, is that they're all forming a virtual team, okay? And therefore, again, you're trying to make it simple. And again, matrix management in a business-to-business environment is much more um, prevalent. One of the other key things is, I think, is, and we did a podcast on this a little while ago, didn't we, Ryan? And we'll put the link in the show notes about the Dunbar number. Yeah. So Ryan just rightly said about uh, the numbers of people So I'm not rattling on all the time. Do you want to talk to people about the Dunbar number? Sure. Sometimes Colin likes to throw these quizzes at me to make sure I'm paying attention. (laughs) Ryan, what what did we talk about? If you get it wrong, mate, we'll edit it out and we'll just, (laughs) we'll get somebody else to do it. Uh, Sure. So uh, Dunbar number is just based on on an observation about how many relationships people tend to form and keep track of. And I can't remember what the number is. It actually differs. 153. Okay. Well, Colin remembers. Uh, Apparently, this was just another attempt to set me up to fail (laughs) one of his quizzes. Uh, Yeah. And it depends on how the relationship is defined, whether it's a a very close relationship. And I think the number there is is five or something. And then, you know, kind of the to more acquaintances and so on. More important than the number, I will argue, since I didn't remember it, more important (laughs) than that is just the idea that there are limits on on how much social interaction people can effectively manage. And so if you've got an organization of 200,000 people and you're serving an organization of 200,000 people, that's not happening. And so as you look for ways of simplifying this, 
Can you look for ways of simplifying the number of relationships to be managed? Colin's example about product A and product B and getting different amounts of attention to the customer, that very well may be because product B has more customers and so they have to spread themselves more thinly across all of those and there's just not a lot they can do about it. So are there opportunities to simplify in that way as well? That's a really good point. Let me build on that with another anecdote. We were doing some work with a client who had large sort of global customers and then they split them by revenue, basically. And then the group of uh, people that were were underneath that. So, you know, you then had a classically sort of the senior account manager with, that was looking after the most important accounts. And then you had an account manager that was looking after the, the lesser accounts. And then typically for the other groups of people, you had a telephone manager, um, telephone account manager that was looking after all of those accounts. And it was really interesting. When we did this analysis, what we found was that it was basically the 80-20 rule. Most of the sales team worked out that they could get 80% of their revenue through 20% of their accounts. So they then just focused on that 20%, mm-hmm. which left the other ones without an account manager, effectively. Yeah. Even though you've got these high-end accounts, there wasn't enough resources being put on them yeah, to deal with that. So understanding that and understanding how many people it takes to deal with an account and to deal with an account effectively is important. A salesperson typically will want to grab as many accounts as they possibly can because it gives them a bigger fish to deal in. But what they also quickly do is they work out which accounts are going to give them the money that year and they focus their attention on those. And if I'm exaggerating to make a point, they leave the other ones. And that means that you could still have high-end accounts being left and not being farmed, not being dealt with, which is really, really important. Yeah, and, and also not being developed into potentially more lucrative Correct. customers in the future. Correct. Okay, number two is recognize customer emotions apply. So number two is recognize customer emotions apply. I'll, I'll be honest, Colin, interacting with you for as long as I have and, and hearing you talk about working with clients who are B2B clients, I'm surprised you put that at number two and not at number one. Yeah. Because this this, this is a big... I don't want to call it a problem. This is a big opportunity for you to talk to people about something important. Yeah. Because it is. It's a, it's a very big assumption. People think that companies are rational, right? So why should we yeah. care about emotions? And and particularly in, in B2B, which is ironic, because the interesting bit for me, and again, whenever we, in fact, we do the majority of our work in business to business, but particularly when you're in the B2B environment, the first question I say is, are relationships important here? Mm-hmm. And everyone goes, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, really important relationships. You know, it's, uh, the whole, you know, the whole, whole business is built on relationships. Well, our emotions, well, no, our customers make logical decisions. They make a decision based upon the product or the service. You know, it's like the dichotomy between those two things. And you just turn around and go, well, a, a relationship is founded on emotions. Right. And certainly all the statistics, we've been doing a survey we call an emotional signature. We've been doing that since 2005. One of our guys, uh, Zecho Dobrev, is actually writing a book on the whole of the subject, which is looking at emotions and how they drive value. And what we can absolutely statistically tell you is that emotions count for a large part of what drives value 
in a business to business experience. The issue for me is you have to define what emotions, okay, and which emotions drive value for you. And then you need to work out how you're going to evoke those emotions throughout that experience. It's a great one. I think we can combine one and two to acknowledge the fact that emotions are important. Emotions tend to be felt on the level of the individual, not the organization. So the organization feels nothing towards you, but all the individuals who are in that organization might feel something very strongly towards you. So managing emotions can therefore be complicated because now we're having to manage lots of individual emotional reactions. But just because it's complicated doesn't mean that we can ignore it then or pretend that it doesn't exist. No, absolutely. And and therefore for me, and this leads nicely on to number three, which is manage different customers differently. Mm -hmm. So rule number three is manage different customers differently. And building on what Ryan was just saying, again, what we know in a typical business-to-business environment, you may have one group of, um, you may have one account, one customer, but they've got lots of different customers within that account. You may have a decision maker, you may have project managers, you may have users, lots of different job types that interact with your organization. Yeah, You have to treat them differently and their perception of you will be different. Okay. We're, again, I remember doing some work with in the healthcare industry. Uh, this was a number of years ago. Uh, and we were actually doing a survey of decision makers, project managers, and users. And what we discovered was the user's opinion of this healthcare company was far worse than the decision maker's opinion. Why? Because the user was interacting with the customer every, uh, with this organization every single day. They saw all the problems and glitches and everything else. And the decision maker didn't. Uh, now you could argue, well, that's okay then because it's the decision maker that's making the decisions. But guess what? You know, the user influences the project managers. The project managers influence the decision makers. And if you've got a sensible, clever decision maker, then they're going to be asking people at the shop floor, what's it like to work with them and finding out what some of the issues are, et cetera. So you've got a point that's going to catch up with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've really got to segment those customers in in different ways. Well, I'm glad that you brought up segmentation because you and I love to talk about segmentation. We think it's very, very important. This, though, is segmentation in a slightly different way than how we normally talk about it. Normally segmentation is different groups of of potential customers or of customers. You're really talking about segmenting within a customer. So yes. segmenting within an organization that you're serving, recognizing that within that organization, there are lots of different people and they have lots of different needs and that they can be served differently and be served differently and better if you recognize that they want slightly different things. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to start both of us off on segmentation, aren't we? The next four hours. The people know what they're getting from us at this point, Colin. (laughs) They signed up for this. What really annoys me is you go, well, what type of segmentation do you have? Well, we have big customers. We have medium-sized customers and we have small customers. And some are, well, we've got insurance customers and we got, got, yeah, but it's far more far more complicated than that. And, you know, you break it all down. So let's not get off on one of our tangents. Well, but it's important. And the reason that it's useful to think of it within the organization is the organization as a whole wants something from you on average, but 
if you need to get approval from purchasing and also from senior management and also from the shop floor and they all want different things, then aiming for the average is not going to do any good. So it's the same basic principle. You need to understand the people that you want to convince either across organizations or often within organizations too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So segmentation is key and even starting to think about personas and all those types of things, because even just saying decision makers, well, that's a group of people, but the people within those decision makers make decisions in different ways and are different people driven by different things and different motivations. So such a great point. I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to visit verant.com backslash boundless to download the latest research report on the engagement capacity gap. I would also suggest you go to verant.com backslash engage to register for Engage 21, the company's annual customer engagement event. An award-winning storyteller, Jay Shetty, is one of the keynotes who will be kicking off the conference that runs between May 19th through to the 21st. It's an interactive, free, three-day virtual conference that's open to everybody and you'll discover best practices and tools that can help you build enduring customer relationships. Register at verant.com backslash engage. That's verant.com backslash engage. Okay, number four, define the experience to align the organization. So this is a common one that we've talked about before, but again, uh, I, I want to express this from a managing the customer experience in a B2B environment. So one of the things that we absolutely, when we're dealing with our, any of our clients is first two things that we do would be define what drives value. Okay. So, you know, what part of your experience drives value, what part doesn't define which emotions drive value and then define the experience that you're trying to deliver. So you end up wanting to deliver trust, cared for and pleased. Now, if you've got a large organization that's a large complex organization, I go back to number one, which was B2B is complicated, so simplify it. The way you simplify it, one of the ways you simplify it is by saying, we want our customers to trust us. We want our customers to feel cared for. We want our customers to feel pleased. Now, as you're doing that across the organization, you can therefore get all of the different business units to focus on how they are going to do that. And each of those business units may do it differently depending upon the circumstances. Okay. So again, we've done this many times in, in different B2B organizations. You may have one of the business units in your B2B that is particularly advanced in customer experience. You may have one of them that's not very advanced, but if you're trying to deliver that trust, cared for and pleased, then each of those business units can work towards that. The other key thing, and, and again, Ryan and I did a podcast on this a little while ago, is think about this now from a cultural perspective, okay? And what I mean is sort of country, nation, culture perspective. Because the way that you deliver trust, cared for, and pleased in Japan may be very different to how you deliver it in India, to how you deliver it in the UK, to how you deliver it in America. So, again, 
it's complicated, but it's simple because you're you're heading towards that overall simple simple goal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it, you're simplifying it by communicating at the level of the strategy instead of at the level of the tactics. So, to use another example, you could imagine that one group within the organization might feel cared for by getting frequent calls and updates from your sales team to let them know how things are going and let them know where where things are are coming from. Another group within the organization, that might be pestering them and they might be really annoyed, right? So if if you're calling the engineering group every couple of days to let them know how things are going, they might not care. They just want to know when it's going to be delivered. Whereas if you're, if you're calling like part of the organizational group, the logistics group to let them know how things are coming along. That might be very much appreciated. So if you have to detail, like this is how often you, you need to call your people, that's not good because that's that's going to complicate things and that's going to be bad advice for somebody. If instead you communicate at the level of, you need to make sure that these people feel cared for by us. Now you're empowering your employees to know what the goal is, to know what the strategy is and how they should then go about meeting that is going to be up to them and their best judgment and their training. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and the bit I would add on to that is, and one of the ways you do that is by measuring those things. Yeah. Okay, so you, you do have a common measurement structure. So you would be, in that case, asking the customer, do you feel that company XYZ cares for you or um, do you trust company XYZ? Those measures would be uh, applicable across the organisation it's then down to those individual business units to achieve that. How they achieve that and the the manifestation of trust and how they go about getting a customer to care for them, some of those things could be absolutely common and there mm-hmm. could be some mm-hmm. centralised programmes that, that deal with that. But for me, you're giving that responsibility down into that part of the organisation and you're going, yeah, it's up to you, but you know, it's that, it's that Spider-Man thing, isn't it? With great power comes great responsibility. So if you don't want to be just told how to do this and you're going to do it yourself, you've also got to take responsibility of of the measures and achievement of those measures. Love it. So the next one, last one, is focus on the art of the possible. Focus on the art of the possible. Now, I go back to a couple of ones that I've already mentioned. B2B is complicated. Managing customers is manage different customers differently what you've got to try to do is because it's a complex organization there will be some parts of the organization that are ahead or buy into the customer experience in a much broader way deeper way than other parts of the organization that that's just life and that's just the way that that things are so focusing on the art of the possible is you've got to push things far enough but without breaking everything Okay, so again, typically what we've done in in these large B2Bs is to turn around and go, right, okay, so we know what driving value, we know what's uh, the experience we're trying to deliver, we're trying to design these experiences. Okay, so which of, let's assume there are 10 different business units, which of these 10 business units do we think want us to help them? Yeah, and typically you get three or four. Focus on them, okay? If you've got parts of the organization that aren't interested, think it's a waste of time and are just being passive aggressives in the sense of, you know, they turn up for the meetings, but they really couldn't care less. Don't bother wasting your time on them at the moment. 
show that it works in the in the four areas that you can focus on and then typically what happens is those other organizations once they see the results start coming in will want to get involved i was literally talking to a client today and you could see the lights coming on this is a b2b client you could see the lights coming on in their understanding of how all of this lot sort of fitted together And one of the bits of advice I gave them was don't be too ambitious in the intellectualization of it because this was a group of, I don't know, 30 customer experience professionals and they were really keen on doing things. But the point I was trying to make to them was, look, your knowledge and your your understanding is far advanced of everybody else out there. And the danger is, is you're going to go and scare everybody. (laughs) <laughs> if you now turn around and go, all right, we're going to change this, we're going to change that, we're going to change that, we're going to change that, we're going to change that. And the people that don't understand, they're sitting there going, why the hell are you doing that? I didn't agree to that. And and some of these could be the senior people. So you got to focus on the art of the possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like it. The other key part of The other key part of that is, and let me be clear, you've still got to push the boundaries But the other key part of that is you've got to educate people. So you've got to gradually bring people's knowledge up of what those interactions are, what those points are, and the concepts behind customer experience. But more importantly, how they practically manifest themselves and what you practically need to do to go away and make those those changes. Well, what you're proposing is good advice on cultural change, right? Look for low-hanging fruit, the easy wins, the areas of least resistance, nothing breeds enthusiasm like success. you know. Yep. And so it doesn't all need to be done at the same time. I think hidden in this number five is the idea that cultural change is hard. And within B2B organizations, maybe especially, you are likely to run into some resistance. So make that a part of your plan. Pick your battles and, and figure out how you can use your successes as a rhetorical device to kind of emphasize and and allow people to convince themselves that this is important rather than having to fight an uphill battle every step of the way. I always remember we had a client in the water industry and they, I've been talking to the VP of customer service there for, I don't know, six months. This was before they engaged us. And the long and short of it is that he was from an engineering background, okay? And I'd been talking to him about all these concepts and everything else. And I could tell he he didn't get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I always remember one Saturday morning, I got a phone call from him, which was unusual for a Saturday. And he said, Colin, he said, I've just been into this gas station. And he said, everything you've told me over the last six months suddenly all fell into place. And, and I now realize what we, what we got to do and how we could go about it. And, you know, thanks very much. And can he, can we talk to you early next week? And you know what I mean? And the point I'm trying to get to is what happened in that gas station? He he went on and told me this long story about (laughs) how they didn't treat him well. And then what happened and blah, 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 blah. But it was just uh, the important part here is that, fell into place with him, all the cogs aligned. Now, you couldn't now get a more passionate person than he is, but it took a while for people to understand. Some people get this naturally. Some people, when you give them a simple explanation, get it. Some people never get it, 
or it takes a lot of time depending upon where they are in the structure of the organization you know positions of power and all the rest of those things can determine what you're doing but that for me all falls under this heading on focus on the art of the possible and think about how much more difficult or or inferior it would have been if at some point during that six months of discussions he had reluctantly convinced himself that well maybe we can kind of try some of this at first and see how it goes as opposed to waiting until that moment when now you suddenly had somebody who was passionate and and clear and understood what like i would imagine the implementation of those what would have been possible would be drastically different and much more likely to be successful given the appropriate time and background and all that kind of stuff. The ones I like the best, mate, are the ones where we've had those conversations and we've we've spent a lot of time educating them up front before any of before they decide to come with us. And some of them then decide they're not going to come with us. They're just going to do it themselves. The ones that I like the best are the ones that come back to you two years later and go, you know what, um, <laughs> <laughs> you spoke to us, we put all this lot in place and it hasn't really worked. Can you come Maybe. and help us sort it all out? Yeah, sure, we'll do that, no problem. I hope that's been of, of use. Let me just go down that list again for you. The five rules of managing a customer experience in business to business. Number one, B2B is complicated, so you've got to simplify it. Number two, recognize customer emotions apply. Number three, manage different customers differently. Number four, define the experience and align the organization. And number five, focus on the art of the possible. So hope that's been of use. If you are a B2B and you want to have a chat about this stuff, then drop us a line. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com or in fact, just drop us an email at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. Okay, thanks very much. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.